them in the pursuit of beauty. For he did pursue beauty, and therefore Margaret's speeches did flutter away from him like birds. Margaret talked ahead, occasionally saying, "'Don't you think so? Don't you feel the same?' And once she stopped and said, "'Oh, do interrupt me!' which terrified him. She did not attract him, though she filled him with awe. Her figure was meagre, her face seemed all teeth and eyes, her references to her sister and brother were uncharitable. For all her cleverness and culture, she was probably one of those soulless, atheistical women who have been so shown up by Miss Corelli. It was surprising, and alarming, that she should suddenly say, "'I do hope that you'll come in and have some tea.' "'I do hope that you'll come in and have some tea. We should be so glad. I have dragged you so far out of your way.' They had arrived at Wickham Place. The sun had set, and the backwater, in deep shadow, was filling with a gentle haze. To the right of the fantastic skyline of the flats towered black against the hues of evening. To the left the older houses raised a square-cut, irregular parapet against the grey. Margaret fumbled for her latch-key. Of course she had forgotten it. So grasping her umbrella by its ferrule, she leant over the area and tapped the dining-room window. "'Helen! Let us in!' "'All right!' said a voice. "'You've been taking this gentleman's umbrella.' "'Taken a what?' said Helen, opening the door. "'Oh, what's that? Oh, do come in. How do you do?' "'Helen, you must not be so ramshackly. You took this gentleman's umbrella away from Queen's Hall, and he has had the trouble of coming for it.' "'Oh, I am so sorry!' cried Helen, all her hair flying. She had pulled off her hat as soon as she returned, and had flung herself into the big dining-room chair. "'I do nothing but steal umbrellas. I am so very sorry. Do come in and choose one. Is yours a hooky or a nobly? Mine's a nobly. At least, I think it is.' The light was turned on, and they began to search the hall, Helen, who had abruptly parted with the Fifth Symphony, commenting with shrill little cries. "'Don't you talk, Meg!' "'You stole an old gentleman's silk-top hat.' "'Yes, she did, Aunt Julie. It is a positive fact. She thought it was a muff. Oh, heavens! I've knocked the in-and-out card down. Where's Frida? Tibby, why don't you ever—no, I can't remember what I was going to say. That wasn't it, but do tell the maids to hurry tea up. What about this umbrella?' She opened it. "'No, it's all gone along the seams.' It's an appalling umbrella, it must be mine. But it was not. He took it from her, murmured a few words of thanks, and then fled with the lilting step of the clerk. But if you will stop, cried Margaret. Now, Helen, how stupid you've been! Whatever have I done? Don't you see that you frightened him away? I meant him to stop to tea. You oughtn't to talk about stealing or holes in an umbrella. I saw his nice eyes getting so miserable. No, it's not a bit of good now. For Helen had darted into the street, shouting, Oh, do stop! I dare say it is all for the best, opined Mrs. Munt. We know nothing about the young man, Margaret, and your drawing-room is full of very tempting little things. And Helen cried, Aunt Julie, how can you? You make me more and more ashamed. I'd rather he had been a thief and taken all the apostle spoons than that I— Well, I must shut the front door, I suppose. One more failure for Helen. 
"'Yes, I think the apostle-spoons could have gone as rent,' said Margaret. Seeing that her aunt did not understand, she added, "'You remember rent. It was one of father's words, rent to the ideal, to his own faith in human nature. You remember how he would trust strangers, and if they fooled him he would say, "'It's better to be fooled than to be suspicious.' that the confidence trick is the work of the man, but the want of confidence trick is the work of the devil. "'I remember something of the sort now,' said Mrs. Munt, rather tartly, for she longed to add, "'It was lucky that her father married a wife with money.' But this was unkind, and she contented herself with, "'Why, he might have stolen the little Ricketts picture as well.' "'Better that he had,' said Helen stoutly. "'No, I agree with Aunt Julie,' said Margaret. "'I'd rather mistrust people than lose my little rickets. There are limits.' Their brother, finding the incident commonplace, had stolen upstairs to see whether there were scones for tea. He warmed the teapot almost too deftly, rejected the orange pico that the parlour-maid had provided, poured in five spoonfuls of a superior blend, filled up with a really boiling water, and now called to the ladies to be quick, or they would lose the aroma. "'All right, Auntie Tibby,' called Helen, while Margaret, thoughtful again, said, "'In a way, I wish we had a real boy in the house, the kind of boy who cares for men. It would make entertaining so much easier.' "'So do I,' said her sister. "'Tibby only cares for cultured females singing Brahms.' And when they joined him, she said rather sharply, why didn't you make that young man welcome, Tibby? He must do the host a little, you know. You ought to have taken his hat and coaxed him into stopping, instead of letting him be swamped by screaming women." Tibby sighed and drew a long strand of hair over his forehead. "'Oh, it's no good-looking superior. I mean what I say.' Oh, "'Leave Tibby alone,' said Margaret, who could not bear her brother to be scolded. "'Here's the house a regular hen-coop grumbled Helen. "'Oh, my dear!' protested Mrs. Munt. "'How can you say such dreadful things? The number of men you get here has always astonished me. If there is any danger, it's the other way round.' "'Yes, but it's the wrong sort of men, Helen means.' "'No, I don't,' corrected Helen. "'We get the right sort of man, but the wrong side of him. And I say that's Tibby's fault. There ought to be a something about the house, and I don't know what.' A touch of the W's, perhaps? Helen put out her tongue. Who are the W's? asked Tibby. The W's are things I and Meg and Aunt Julie know about, and you don't, so there. I suppose that ours is a female house, said Margaret, and one must just accept it. No, Aunt Julie, I don't mean that this house is full of women. I am trying to say something much more clever. I mean that it was irrevocably feminine, even in father's time. Now I'm sure you understand. Well, I'll give you another example. It'll shock you, but I don't care. Suppose Queen Victoria gave a dinner-party, and that the guests had been Leighton, Millet, Swinburne, Rossetti, Meredith, Fitzgerald, etc. Do you suppose that the atmosphere of that dinner would have been artistic? Heavens, no! The very chairs on which they sat would have seen to that. So with our house. It must be feminine, and all we can do is to see that it isn't effeminate. Just as another house that I can mention, but I won't, 
sounded irrevocably masculine, and all its inmates can do is to see that it isn't brutal. "'That house being the W's house, I presume,' said Tibby. "'You're not going to be told about the W's, my child,' Helen cried. "'So don't you think it. "'And on the other hand, I don't the least mind if you find out. "'So don't think you've done anything clever in either case. "'Give me a cigarette.' "'You do what you can for the house,' said Margaret. "'The drawing-room reeks of smoke. "'If you smoked, too, the house might suddenly turn masculine. "'Atmosphere is probably a question of touch and go. "'Even at Queen Victoria's dinner-party, "'if something had been just a little different, "'perhaps if she'd worn a clinging Liberty tea-gown "'instead of a magenta satin, "'with an Indian shawl over her shoulders, "'fastened at the bosom with a cangorm pin, "'bursts of disloyal laughter.' You must remember that they are half-German, greeted these suggestions, and Margaret said pensively, How inconceivable it would be if the royal family cared about art! And the conversation drifted away and away, and Helen's cigarette turned to a spot in the darkness, and the great flats opposite were sown with lighted windows, which vanished and were relit again, and vanished incessantly. Beyond them the thoroughfare roared gently, a tide that can never be quiet— while in the east, invisible behind the smokes of Wapping, the moon was rising. "'That reminds me, Margaret. We might have taken that young man into the dining-room at all events. Only the majolica plate, and that is so firmly set in the wall. I am really distressed that he had no tea.' For that little incident had impressed the three women more than might be supposed. It remained as a goblin football— as a hint that all is not for the best in the best of all possible worlds, and that beneath these superstructures of wealth and art there wanders an ill-fed boy, who has recovered his umbrella indeed, but who has left no address behind him, and no name. End of chapter 5